Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life of Wrestling Podcast. This is Mike Mall is on the other line. What's going on, man? I'm doing good, man. We have a great guest today, so I'm looking forward to talking to her. It's a really interesting topic, an important topic that you hear about in the news quite a bit. Exactly, man. It's going to be really, really good because, again, it's also going to be not so much as just about having this great cause that she really stands behind, but also just showing that you can do some great things with a certain training implement, despite all the arguments that go on in our fitness world about who has the best training tool and you right. know, what's the better training tool to train with and why this one's better than that one. Well, she's showing that here's one that you can actually utilize for the greater good beyond these stupid arguments that happen in the fitness world. Right, right. Well, you know, the arguments are always made by people who don't work out. Exactly. Right? Because, yeah. because you, you can't possibly... <laughs> work in a good training schedule and a busy schedule and then waste a lot of time on message boards debating what <laughs> works. Like when something works for me, I don't need to debate with other people about the merits. I know it works. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. So before we get to our guest, make sure that you guys head over to both our websites. Head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA. You get 20, 10% off. Where's that 20 coming from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy, easy there, man. Yeah. That 20%. Whoa. I'm not that generous. Slow it know. down, Cupcake. Okay. <laughs> yeah, get 10% you get off. get 80% off. We should do that one day. See how many people try to use the code. You know? <laughs> should do that experiment one day for like five minutes, just like a flash sale. Just see if anybody's paying attention. But no, seriously, you can get 10% off of both of our products. Anything that you can buy on both of our websites, 10% off of that. On my website, you can get 10% off my ebook, The Wellness Code. Also on my DVD for bodyweight training. Also on my Coffee stands, and man, I got some great news coming down the pipe, man, with those Cheria doors. The Cheria door 2.0 is on the way, and man, nice. I, I got to see the prototypes today. I'm, I'm just very excited. I don't think I can wait long enough for them, and so <laughs> I'll let everybody else know about it once they are good and ready, but the, you're definitely going to love these if you like the ones that we had before. But um, what do you have on your website, man? Hold on a second. Let me wait for my dogs. All right. You done yet? Come here. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> you can get 10% off using that same coupon code LLA. Just go to MikeMahler.com or AggressiveStrength.com, and you can get 10% off any of my nutrition supplements, T-shirts, videos. My teleseminars now are available, the hormone optimization one, the making six figures as a trainer one. Basically, and even, even workshops I have coming up in Vienna and Scotland, you can use that coupon code to get 10% off. Also, I wanted to thank a few people that have been using that coupon code, some of our listeners. We've got Larry Johnson, who's used it many times, strong supporter of the show. We have Juan Rodriguez, another regular, Roger Nelson, and let's see if I can find one more on this list here. we got – now I'm trying to find a name I can pronounce. <laughs> go ahead, man. Butcher it. Just pull out the we knife got, and get the go. we got man. Troy Willoughby. Willoughby. That's what it is. So anyway, thanks a lot, guys, for using the coupon code, supporting the show. Because of people like you guys, most of our listeners get to listen to the show for free. And what they don't realize is if it wasn't for people supporting our businesses, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, man. And on, on that note, also – Got a couple of new patrons that came in this week as well, man. Uh, big shout out to, see, this one I can't butcher up. It's very, very simple. <laughs> Wayne Sanders. You know, and Wayne, Wayne had a good story, man. It's just like, um, I actually, at, at the end of the show, I'm actually going to bring up the email that he um, sent over to me. Cool. He just started listening to the show probably like a couple of episodes ago. And he already jumped in and started supporting the show right off the bat. And it all came from big, a big part of that was the fact that we were talking about vitamin D. And getting mm. outside and getting energized using vitamin D. And he was just talking about his own personal experience. And he's one of those guys that trained real hard and, you know, but he did everything in his 
power to avoid the sun for whatever reason. But then he always felt like crap. You know, it just wasn't really working out with the training or whatever. Then he decided, right. you know, then he discovered once getting outside, man, and just taking in vitamin D, how energized he felt. There are very few podcasts that even talk about things like that, man. And he can really appreciate a lot of things that we bring up on the show. And he immediately wanted to support the show. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. You know, big shouts out to Wayne for that, man. We truly appreciate you coming on board. And because I, also th- I also think he was, a, I also think that the bleaching episode we had early on was another thing that I think, inspired you know, him I think, you know support. what, I think I'm going to re-release that episode for those that missed it because that was so long ago when we first started. Yeah, yeah we won't we, get into that just now. We dropped that episode. I think we're going to get a lot of new fans, man. <laughs> so, so we may, we may even have a bleach expert come on the show and talk about that. We'll get into that down the road. Exactly. Sure. So, yeah, oh, in the meantime, hop over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash LLA podcast, you become a patron, support the show, help keep this show free by supporting our efforts. And over there on that page, it'll tell you pretty much what your support, what it goes to toward keeping the show running. All right. So without further ado, now we've got the business out of the way. So today's guest, man, this is a very special person to me. She's really, really cool. I met her actually a couple years ago while I was competing in Novi, which is right outside Detroit, the, the better part of Detroit. So, you know, at a kettlebell competition that the IKFF throws out every year. And it was just something very interesting, man, because when I saw her, the first thing I spotted was a T-shirt. And I saw that it said kettlebells for autism. And I was like, okay, what's that about? Because I have quite a few friends, man, who have children who are on autism spectrum. And then just making that connection, I was like, okay, kettlebells and autism, what's this about? And since that time, that was probably about 2013 yeah Yeah. 2013 as a matter of fact you know and and since that time man i've watched her organization just really really grow and support a lot of great organizations that are really supporting children and and people who are on the autism spectrum so all i can say is man just to sit back man sometimes like i always tell you guys when you're doing stuff just do it for the sake of doing it. Don't worry about if anyone's paying attention or try to work for the praise or anything like that. But always know that somebody's watching. So my thing is, whatever you're doing, do it well because somebody's paying attention. And you don't have to sit there and preach to someone about something. Trust me, they're going to be intrigued when they see how much effort you put into it. And that's how I feel about our guest today. So without further ado, I want to introduce Christina Daniels. Do I have, did I screw your last name up? No, it's you got it. it okay, I was making sure. You know, yeah. I try to make it real fancy one year when we're doing the kettlebell competition. I'm like, Christina Daños. <laughs> you know, she's like, Come on. I saw no, you kind of roll your eyes and be like, really, dude? <laughs> <laughs> so, Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I was really, I, I can't tell you since you've invited me, I was i was listening to your podcast prior to that and I was thinking, why am I being included in this? You know, you've got so many out there. So, I, I that's a great introduction. And I thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem. Well, one of the reasons why you're on the show is because you're actually you're interesting and you're out there Thank making you. things happen and you're taking charge and you, you saw a cause that needed some support and you found a way to support a cause and you took charge. You didn't wait for permission to do it. You just did it. And w- without worrying about, hey, who can we you know, who can I go ask to do this? And he, hey, you want to do this for me and what, you know, do this. You just went out there and did it. And then what ended up happening? Folks are coming to you and say, hey, how can I be down? How can I help you? Which is one of the things that Mike and I talk about all the time when we start talking about reciprocity as well. Okay, it's not about trying to figure out like, okay, who can I, who can I get to make this blow up and make me look good? You're right. going out there like, I'm going to bust my behind and, and hopefully I'm doing a great job. And then they're thinking, they're thinking you like, how can I help? So you're a good example of that. Thank you. Like that's, that's actually been a, the biggest part of the success so far with Kettlebells for Autism is just people who have been, 
either interested in it or inspired by it and then come to me to collaborate. And I think without that, I mean, the ones I've done on my own have been pretty small scale, any of the events. Mm -hmm. So just the kettlebell community at large or people who've seen a shirt and then contacted me, that's been a big part of what's made it um, kind of expand to the scale it has within the kettlebell community. I think um, if you just follow it on social networking, I would say probably 75% of those who compete in kettlebell sport have some way interacted with this, with the events or been part of something that I've done. So that's a really big accomplishment. But again, it's all been due to collaborations. Now, how did you get started with this? Like why the, the, the area of autism? Like how did, how did, how did you become a part of that community and, and um, this cause? So, so how ba- far back do I go? So um, I guess in early, the early 2000s, I have a, a cousin who was diagnosed with autism. He was quite young. He was less than two and um, he so he had treatment at a really young age and he wasn't presenting. Um, he wasn't too severe. Mm-hmm. So he had great success with his treatment. And at the time, I wasn't sure career wise what route I wanted to go in. But I knew I wanted to teach. So I saw him in treatment and I just decided this is for me. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and my voice is still shaking when I talk about it. It was a really emotional time. Um And so that was in 2003 that I started in the field of autism services. And then. Um, I was always just athletic, so fitness was kind of just something on the back burner. I played sports, and I was always active doing something. And I guess it was 2011 I came across kettlebells um, through Agatsu. I was certified through Sean, Sean Mosen, Mm -hmm. and um, that was in March 2011, 2013, or sorry, March 2011, and then in June 2011, I competed in kettlebell sport. They just were having a cert, and they were going to have a kettlebell competition right after in Toronto, where I'm from and where I live. And um, it was actually in Michigan when I noticed um, at one of the IKFF events that people have a lot of swag related, like their team swag, but there wasn't anything (laughs) else happening related to shirts that you could buy. I mean, the CrossFit community, it's really saturated with T-shirts and apparel you can buy, but there was Mm -hmm. nothing happening in the kettlebell community. Um, So fast forward now to 2013, and um, I was pretty much just in a rut with work and life in general, just thinking there's something else I should be doing or something else I want to do that's more positive. And um, I came across a family in Ontario who was fundraising to attend a program in San Diego, I believe, called Surfers Healing. And it's just a respite. They don't claim to heal by any means. Um, but it's a surf program families who have uh, children with autism can go to. And it's a free surf camp. And the families just really feel really supported because they're around other families with um, dealing with the same things. And they get this free time to just sit back while their child learns to surf or has, you know, supported through surfing. Mm-hmm. And this family wanted to attend. They had a child with really high um, need. It's high behavioral needs, and they needed a lot of support to even make the trip. It couldn't just be mom and dad. It had to be two parents with him plus um, a support worker. So they were fundraising. I thought, you know, I'll help them out. And uh, that was what started it. So I created Kettlebells for Autism that weekend. It was literally within a few hours it was created. And then again, Sean Mosen of Agatsu, he posted about it on Facebook, and, and then people just signed up and did it, and we raised um, the contribution of kettlebells for autism was 5,500 of the 10,500 they raised. Nice. So they got to go on their trip, and that was February 2013. And now it's kind of just kept, keeps evolving. It's still kind of fluid what my goals are um, for, for the program, or not the program, but the organization. Um, but overall, it's pretty much 
working with the kettlebell community, whether it's through CrossFit or kettlebell sport or just in general, anyone using a kettlebell and bringing attention to autism and awareness and acceptance of it and then raising funds to support specific organizations who have really tangible goals thereafter, not just, you know, we need money. You don't know what happens with it. We want to, I want to see what they do with it. So yeah, that's been the, that's the general story behind it. Yeah. I think it's very important. Uh, Mike and I talk about this all the time with a lot of charitable organizations is like the biggest problem with some of the larger scale ones. I guess you can say the corporate ones now is the fact that you're donating this money, but you have no idea where that money's going to, but they play upon your, your emotions. And so then Mm -hmm. you kind of, you're kind of caught in this guilt thing. Like, well, I don't want to not give, you know, and it's really, and then I usually hear a lot of people say, well, as long as I gave what they do, that's on them, you know, but a lot of times my thing is, I really want to know what are you doing with this money? Because let's, let's face it, you know, it's not like money's just being thrown around these days and, you know, but there are people out there that need different things. So we really want to know, like, uh, is that really going to go to this research or is this going to help that family? And so I think it's very important. And you know, that's why we always tell everyone, you know, look at the charities that you donate to. And, you know, if, if they if you can hop over to the charity navigator and see if they pop up there and get an idea where those funds are being allocated to. You know, when the CEO is rolling around and making half a million dollars, you know, and you got to right. wonder, like, you know, it's a yearly salary. Like, wow, why are you making so much money for a nonprofit? You yeah. Know, and then <laughs> when they have assets of billions of dollars, why do they even need to do fundraising? <laughs> exactly. like the Red Cross, every time there's a disaster, there's fundraising. It's like, well, you guys have billions in assets why exactly. don't you use that Where, why isn't that money? in the field even that statement of not-for-profit that's not necessarily um True. If right. it, i mean just in terms of being a savvy consumer when you're donating you know look for that statement that's not always there and if it's not they're probably are for profit not to say that right. they don't do good work but it's just a matter of you know how do you want to uh, allocate your money <laughs> again good things can come of it but for me, that's uh, Kettlebell Sprotten is a one-person show, me and my time. So I want to be very careful and really support the small organizations that have uh, more difficulty accessing corporate funding or funding from those big um, charities that give grants and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Now, before we go any further into your organization, mm-hmm. I think there's a big misconception of what exactly autism is. And, you know, you have sure. some people, they just go by what they've seen on TV. So they think, oh, Rain Man, you know, or they really right. think there's someone that really has who, who's really mentally challenged or something like that. But they don't realize when you say spectrum, I think that's the part that they're ignoring right there. That means there are so many different levels of that where you can go from someone who pretty much may have mental challenges to someone who is considered mm-hmm. a genius. So, you know, right. but when you start talking about it, like, oh, he's a genius, like they don't realize that. OK, but he's also autistic. <laughs> but they don't. They don't want to care. They don't categorize that in the same. They're thinking that they're in the same category like that. So, what exactly is autism? And if you can't, if you can explain that, and I guess make it a, yeah. a simple definition. And for I folks think out there. I think that uh, the difficulty is a, is making it simple because it, <laughs> it's not. It's a really complex neurobehavioral disorder. But the main impairments have to do with social interactions, um, and that could be just how. So impairments in communication. So individuals in the spectrum may have no form of communication. So no spoken verbal or vocal language, whereas mm-hmm. others have a lot of communication skills, but aren't using it maybe in the most appropriate way. So they have a lot of words, but can't carry on a conversation like a, a volley and banter back and forth with an, another person. And then the other piece is the presence of repetitive stereotypic behavior. So you might see things like lining up toys with children. That's that's a common one, a common characteristic um, or behavior rather. 
Um, hand flapping, so a physical behavior where, again, it's repetitive and it looks rather odd compared to, you know, what average people might do. Um, and then difficulty with um, uh, responding to changes in uh, the way the day goes or changes in schedules, um, difficulty with uh, transitions or adapting to change in general. So, again, like those aren't easy to just explain to someone. And there's Ve- the way that looks for, from person to person varies. So the, the severity of the needs in those three areas, it's, it's a, there's a spectrum right there. And that's mm-hmm. why the, spe- the term spectrum or why it's, it's part of the, the, um, the diagnosis and part of the, the, the name in general. So and another piece that, you know, when you think of you mentioned Rain Man. So what we often see in the way the media presents autism, this is, I mean, my opinion, but it's often the exceptions. So mm-hmm. they'll either you'll see, you know, a trend where in Ontario recently had a lot of, not a lot of families, but there was a lot of attention paid to some families who had children with uh, really severe needs and behavior problems. So tantruming, aggression toward others, and they didn't know what to do. So there was a lot of media attention there. And the other side you'll have, there was, I think it was last year, um, a young lady who was in, I think it was Miss America, one of the beauty pageants. Mm -hmm. And she was on the other end of the spectrum. So she had a lot of skills and um, was able to compete. I don't remember the outcome of that. But so, you know, the kind of the, there's no... I guess, most common presentation of autism. But right. what I see in my daily work with children and the kids I work with who are under eight, I mean, none of my clients or my students rather are the same. Half of them have functional language they use. The other half don't. Um, some are very social, some aren't. So it's so broad that I think the nature of what autism is, is what contributes to the, the confusion of it. That's that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Again, it's like but it's, it's, not, it's, simple. it's, it's not, not simple. There's no simple way to explain exactly. it. Yeah, I think it's to the point where, for those on the outside, it's not simple at all. But just for the parents, you know, who who are also having children who are experiencing who have autism, you know, it's even harder for them to try to explain to their friends or whoever else. And because a lot of people just look and think like, oh, that child has behavior problems. You know, this is just a bad kid. Right. Or something and because like, they or look just put like him in the corner or just punish child. him. Yeah, or spank him. Yeah, or, like that their you know, parent is and not some being strict like enough. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some parents, you know, they big... sit there and shake and they're, they spank their kids. I'm like, are you serious right now? Yeah. You know, because they are not equipped to handle it. But my thing is, if you're not equipped to do that, you need to find someone who is. You know, mm-hmm. step back. Don't make it worse for that child by doing so, by, by screaming at them, yelling at them. And I've, and I've witnessed this firsthand. I've had to walk off. I had to right. walk away because I was probably going to punch that parent in the throat. <laughs> okay, you know, just because well, mother, like, it with, like, it's frustrating. We've all you have children, right? Since yes, I, I do. Believe. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I, have, I don't have children myself. But my sisters have kids, and they're between six months and ten years old now. Mm-hmm. And I've seen my sister's lose their minds during their parenting, (laughs) you know, just things that come up. Your kids are driving you crazy that day. And so I think you just think of that any parent experiences, but then know that they're probably experiencing that 24 seven. So they're under tremendous stress. And um, so a a big piece, I believe, I think in terms of, you know, our greater community at large in terms of understanding autism is the acceptance of um, not to dismiss, you know, that these children, these individuals rather can't learn. I mean, there's definitely treatment needs to happen, but what the parents are going through, it's such Mm -hmm. a, because of the misunderstanding of an, even being able to access um, respite care. So taking that break, like how to access that. um, It varies from state to state and Canada from province to province, if you're in a rural or an urban area. So there, I mean, it's a tremendous um, 
uh, there's tremendous need beyond just the individual with the diagnosis, but those around them and their caregivers and where the needs are there. Um, but yeah, I mean, a big part of it is, is I think as a, anyone, a caregiver with some of the special needs is being able to take a step back and, and seek, um, support, um, and, you know, getting past the taboo of not wanting the community to know that, you know, uh, you're. Okay, folks. So we had some audio difficulties going on with Skype. Are you surprised? Are you really surprised by that? <laughs> Come on. I mean, Skype is owned by Microsoft. And I'm gonna leave it at that. So, <laughs> so instead of getting a blue screen of death, we got like the blank silence of, of a great topic that just went into the ionosphere. We don't even know what happened. So we're back now. Well, we're kind of back. So here's the thing. Not only did we lose part of the recording where we left off, we also lost Mike in the process. He's disappeared too. So it's just Christina and myself. Um, so yeah, we had to come back and re-record it, um, the last part of the show because something happened, um, while we were recording and Skype started tripping. So you guys know how it goes. So now we're coming back because I, I just really felt like I didn't want to just dump the episode and say, screw it. I really feel like this episode is very important. We need to get it out there. And um, the beautiful thing about it, this time around, while we're recording this latter part of the show, it's happening right now in April, which is Autism Awareness Month. So maybe they were just like, I don't know, the Skype gods just let us know that you guys should come back and, and re-record at this time. And it'll be more, it'll be a lot more appropriate and the timing will be great. So. Okay, we'll accept that. So thank you, Christine, for coming back on and dealing with this madness of re-recording and taking time out of your day to do this again. Thank you for having me on again and for taking the time to uh, get this out there in April. So thank you again. No worries. And luckily, I went back and I really had to like just really think hard. Like, okay, what did we miss? What got dropped? Uh, what was missing from the last show? But it all came back to me, so I think we're good to go because it was. We really started getting into some really good topics and good discussions here, and I didn't want that just to get lost in the ionosphere. And I, I, I remembered everything, so now we can touch back on that. I know the last thing we okay. talked about a few minutes ago because we are attaching this to the last episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the last one recorded, we were talking about the caregivers and just. How important it is also for them to get the support that they need as well. And people don't understand, you know, you'll see people, we kind of talked about how some of these caregivers, you know, it's very frustrating for some of them. They're not equipped to handle the situation of raising a child on autism spectrum. Like we were speaking about, I've seen parents who scream at their kids and shake them or spank them because they feel like, you know, they're not behaving or something like Mm -hmm. that. And it drives me crazy. I'm like, actually, I even know someone on a personal level where we even asked her, like, did you think that your child may have autism? And she's in such denial. She's like, no, she just has a behavior problem. She just didn't, she just acts up. I'm like, mm-hmm. you might want to go get her checked. Okay. Mm-hmm. And find out what's going on with that. And of course, you know, that's pretty much all you can do. Otherwise it's really not your business. And you know, people can get really snappy and, okay. and offended. But my thing is don't, don't hit that child in front of me and think that I'm not going to say something. That's just me as a parent. Right. Uh, it just, it bothers me, especially when a lot of times it's not them. It, it reminds me of people who, you know, the abused animals, and you, they have these, especially like pit bulls. Everyone has mm-hmm. this issue with pit bulls. And it's like, I don't have an issue with pit bulls. I have an issue with the owners because right. it's not the dog's fault when they're behaving like that. It's not a child's fault when he's behaving in, in, in such a way that they're acting out. You, you have to look at the parent. And as with those dogs, you have to look at the owner. And so get to the source and not take it out on the dog and put him down or take it out on the child and beat them, which is a, almost a form of putting them down because, you know, you're, you're killing their spirit when you do that. So it's no different than euthanizing a dog when you're doing it. So. Well, and I think with so sort of um, 
conversations that I often have with um, families that I work with or, I mean, just in general things that come up. So when it comes to, I'm, I'm not sure, again, what came up in the, uh, how far we got in the last uh, part or the first part of the conversation, but you had expressed, you know, again, seeing individuals really frustrated with their child's behavior and, you know, whether or not there's a diagnosis of autism. So let's just mm-hmm. I break it down to, I think, of the individual, the caregiver themselves. So when I think of just anyone I know, there are people I know who you could throw anything at them and they will handle it or they're, they're mm-hmm. resourceful and they'll figure it out. And there are those who have tough, a tough time just, you know, making ends meet or being organized and then you throw in the mix. Now, Throw in a child here with the uh, special needs of any in any of any kind, mm-hmm. and the person who's resourceful will probably apply those resourceful skills and just what they are able to do with ease to supporting their child. And the person who isn't, who's maybe easily stressed or has a hard time with their job, and now they're, you're adding more pressure into the situation. So I think I see that just an everyday person now they're in a really tough situation, not knowing how to handle it, and just mm-hmm. like the general. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know much about autism. A person who, um, a parent is also learning because if they have a, a young child with, with a diagnosis or they've just recently been diagnosed, they're learning about how to cope through, <clears throat> excuse me, temper tantrums and things like that. Right. So I would say as general population, I think, you know, um, I, I'm sure if you asked any parent who's, or any person raising or caring for a person with special needs in any, in any way, they're, the first thing they're going to want is empathy. So just understanding. And rather than uh, criticizing or pointing fingers, and what I often hear from families is people giving them dirty looks in public mm. places when their child is having a tantrum. Right. And, you know, a more appropriate and humane thing would do, would do would just be to offer help. Like, hey, can I carry your groceries while you carry your child right. to the yes. car? Things yes. like that. Like, offer help before you you judge or criticize. Right. That's one thing. And then when I think of the, the parent themselves or the caregiver, and if they're not understanding, like, why is my child freaking out this way or why won't they listen? So let's just assume there is a behavioral problem. Whether it's a diagnosis of autism, there's a behavioral problem. What I coach families through is to understand, is to think of what is the function of that behavior. So this tantrum means something. They're either, you know, they've been told no, probably, and they don't have an appropriate way or the skills to to calm himself down and accept no for an answer. So mm-hmm. tantrum occurs, and probably the history, whether it was one time or now ten times, the history mm-hmm. has been my tantrum, I'm going to get what I want my mom or dad wants to get out of this store in one piece and not be embarrassed. <laughs> right, right. So that's a really, you know, it's an ineffective way, or it's effective for the, for the, the child, but, you know, not effective for the parent to give in in that moment. Mm-hmm. Another thing is maybe the child <laughs> wants attention, like they're not being attended to, I'm going to freak out and now my mom wants to talk to me or is going to look at me and talk to me Mm -hmm. um or you know maybe they're and often with autism um there are behaviors that will happen for and it's not based on what someone else does it's just what we call um oh i'm going to lose my terminology here now um it's automatically reinforced so it serves some other purpose that doesn't involve other people it's just somebody whether it's a sensation they're looking for there's something else i I won't get into that part of it Mm -hmm. but the problem behavior that is often seen with um, individuals with um, autism, and it's not just because of diagnosis, it's usually to do with inability to communicate or um, because of just overall their learning delay, they need to be taught how to self-regulate and, um, you know, learn to wait for things. Just things that kids learn through natural opportunities we have to teach a person with autism often. So my overall kind of message there is, one, to offer support before criticism if you're witnessing something like that. Um, 
And two is for the, the caregivers to think of, you know, looking to professionals, whether it's starting with your physician or right. teachers, but to ask, you know, what is my child missing that is preventing them from communicating this moment? What do they need to learn to better handle the situation of being told no, of, you know, getting attention appropriately? So there's always, you know, there's, there's a reason for it more often than not for those problems to occur. And then the parents, and it's like seeking resources to help them through it. Because, I, I mean, I get it. Um, I see it with parents of, you know, uh, children that don't have special needs, and they mm. lose it. I mean, I had my nieces and nephews over here yesterday, and <laughs> I had to take a breath for a while because <laughs> there was so much fighting going on with them. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's just it's yeah. so much more heightened when it's 24-7 of that. So right, I say, like, right. the empathy is a piece that I really would hope the, our community, our greater community can, can give these families. Right. And when we talk about the signs, like what are some of those signs that should raise a red flag to a parent? Like, OK, because you just say, OK, okay is this a one off tantrum or is this mm-hmm. consistent? Is this happening like, OK, this is happening like nine, 10, 11 times. Maybe I need to go and find out and make sure that there's nothing going on with my child. And maybe they're not just spoiled. Maybe there's something truly happening here that I need to find out. So what are those signs that some just some of those signs that, you know, that you've discovered in working in the field that a lot of the professionals tell parents like, Hey, when you see this, then maybe you just might want to come in and see a professional, see a medical professional who can diagnose this and let you know whether yay or nay, your child is on the autism spectrum. Right. And, and that's information that luckily that's one thing that's really easy to find. If mm-hmm. you just anyone Google searches red flags for autism, there, there are so many, mm-hmm. but some of the early signs, I mean, um, I, I would imagine, I mean, most, physicians or you can get though they usually have pamphlets in doctor's offices about mm-hmm. the um, developmental milestones so that's one big one to, to follow if those milestones aren't being met then then that's a, a critical time to go speak to a doctor and, and look into um, you know making sure everything's okay and if not what do you have to look out for going forward mm-hmm. um, other things are I mean, there's so many um, regression of skills is a big one so a child may have some language to start with or early language and then um, that regresses. So maybe they stop talking um, or become more withdrawn is a, you know, another um, kind of, I guess, way to sum it up is just this pulling back from making eye contact, yeah. uh, eye contact rather, or um, disengaging with people. Um, another one is repetitive play. That's one that I've heard hmm. a lot from families when they're, they speak about their um, child as an infant or a toddler that you know, and these are ones that come up often is lining up toys. So having a toy and maybe playing with it in an excessive way. So um, one example, and this is an example, this is not a telltale sign, but it's an mm-hmm. example um, where, you know, one child might have a car and turn it over and spin a wheel and do that for a while. And then a, a child potentially with autism might do that for hours on it, be content to do that with hours on end. So it's, play that might be, you know, appropriate for a time, but when it's excessive and, you know, not wanting to try other things, that, that's also a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are so many, but I would say to look at the, the developmental milestones as the first place to start. And then um, the big thing with um, overall with treating individuals with autism is, to, is early treatment. And, you know, early diagnosis is, is really key to getting access to that treatment. So if anyone suspects, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of people a big part of it of of getting that diagnosis is just not in one, not wanting to face the potential bad news. Whereas other people want to know right away. Others are like, oh, I don't know, you know, they avoid it. So um, 
I'd say if there's any suspicion, early diagnosis makes a big difference because it leads to early treatment and early support, and that makes a big difference in that individual's life in terms of um, meeting the milestones then and catching up. And, you know, it's not going to go away on its own. It's like something has to be done. So for sure, I think that's actually the easiest information to come across just through a Google search is the red flags. Um, But the key message there is getting treatment earlier. So sooner than later will make a bigger difference in that person's life and success. And see, just when you're describing just when they turn the toy over and they're playing with the wheel excessively, just right there just to show how complex things can be, mm-hmm. someone else listening to this could think like, okay, if you're looking at that, you don't know whether they could be on the autism spectrum. Do they have OCD? Do they have ADD? Right. And pretty much any other of these lettered acronym, you know, disorders right. going on. So it, But a lot of times people just want to assume and just think to themselves like, oh, he just has, that's just his OCD. So, okay, well, if that's the case, then why, why are you so dismissive with that? Like it was a cold that he just had and it's going to go away. So even that in itself, you know, because I'm really big just on, on just psychology and, and just really just studying just the mental aspect of, of individuals. Just that right there, I'm like, well, why are you accepting the OCD? Like when you want to get that checked too? So why, just pass it off like, oh, it's just OCD. Uh, he'll, he'll get over it. He'll, he'll do something else in a little while. Like, so these parents sometimes become their own, try to become their own physicians, but they're not equipped to, to step in there and do so. Even if they were physicians, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're too close to the patient to even come up with that. So you need to seek, you know, yeah. someone else's advice. Like, you know, it's not even good for you to do that as a physician with your own child. You need to seek the help of another individual. It's kind of like an attorney. You know, the, the person that represents himself represents a fool. Even an attorney needs attorneys. <laughs> so right, and yeah. I mean, an expert in different areas too. Mm-hmm. And I would, right. and I would say too. I mean, I don't want anyone to. And I, I, I have so many girlfriends with little kids, and because of the work I do, they, you know, if something comes up, they're like, oh my gosh, is, is this yeah, a problem? Uh, and I just no, think of it, you know, yeah, like, yeah, take a breath. A if it's just the one thing, probably not, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. But if it's affecting, you know, the way they communicate, if that's affected, if the way they socialize with other kids, so their play behavior. Um, so spinning the toys it, again, that's just an example. If your child spins a toy, it doesn't mean <laughs> oh my god, you have a yes, I, no, everybody's wanna, like staring at their yeah, kids. Like, I just want to be clear about that. But if there <laughs> yeah. are other, you know, markers, definitely um, seek support. But I would say, you know, with anything like that, that someone might be just dismissive about, to think of how does that, what, how does what they're doing affect them in the bigger picture? So if they're, whether it's you know, tantruming at the drop of a hat or um, being really withdrawn, and mm-hmm. if that's, you know doesn't interfere with them learning or interacting with other kids and making friends, then, okay, fair enough. You can, you know, not a big deal, potentially not a big deal. But if, if that, if those things are um, interfering with them, you know, talking to making friends or talking to other kids and watching other kids, like that's a big thing. Kids learn by watching other kids. So right. if a child is really withdrawn or engaging in behavior that is going to prevent other kids from wanting to be around them. Like, well, that's something that you need to get support with because it will affect them in the long run. Um, But I don't want, you know, people to be watching their kids like hawks for every little out of the ordinary thing. But definitely, you know, if there are signs, again, I can't stress this enough, getting support sooner than later, please look it up. Um, See your doctor if you have any suspicions about your child's needs. Right. And, and one of the things that we have here is always comes down to health care. It's like a big mm-hmm. issue here, oh, yeah. here in the States. So yeah. when we think of autism, you know, sometimes I think some people think that, OK, that, that's not like something that only people who have the money can afford to get that diagnosed. So do you see that there may be a problem or have you ever had any, come across any issues where lower income families have been a little bit more dismissive about getting diagnosis because maybe they don't have 
access to health care in order to reach out to professionals who can diagnose whether or not their their children are on the autism spectrum or not. So it's just like, well, I can't afford to take them to a doctor and get all that checked out. We'll just have to deal with it because that happens in a lot of other yeah. things that go on medically with people like, okay, you, oh, I'm, I'm dizzy. I'm not feeling good, blah, blah, but I can't afford to go to the doctor. I'll just deal with it. So if they're doing that to themselves on that level, I can only imagine what it's like when mm-hmm. you're dealing with a situation where there's a potential that your child might be on the autism spectrum. So what, what have you come across as far as dealing with like lower income families and how they've approached this? Like, are there systems in place to make this a little easier for them to have access to medical professionals to diagnose and assist them with children on autism spectrum? So this is a, such a tough question for me because mm-hmm. I live in Canada. So let me just yeah. start with our experience to <laughs> be probably different, but I'm not yeah. going to say that it's the utopia here because it definitely is not. Um, okay, so how do I want to, how do we tackle this question then? So let me just start <laughs> with, um, so I live in Toronto, Ontario, mm-hmm. and here we have um, a really, a great program, not a perfect program, but program, but a great program where families um, can access uh, treatment and it would be paid for by the government. And it's, um, it, so it's, it's a treatment that replaces school for a short period of time. So the kids would come to a treatment center where they're going to learn various skills and it's to prepare them to go, to go back to school or to go to school and um, be able to take more from that learning environment than they could if they didn't have it. So it's preparing them for learning and also other skills like we want, you know, if they're not communicating, to give them a communication system or work on spoken language. Toileting might be a need for mm. a young learner, all kinds of things. So that exists in Ontario, but the wait list, so this is where, again, it's not perfect. Our wait lists are ridiculous. Mm. Um, it's a very expensive treatment because um, it involves one in, one therapist with as one student. So that ratio of one-to-one is, is expensive. You're paying, one, you know, not like a, a school where there's one teacher and 25 kids. Right. Um, <laughs> But so that's one factor. So the wait lists are really long. And because of that, so what we see here is families. Um, there was actually an article in uh, the paper that I read just this weekend where a family moved from Ontario. I think they moved to Nova Scotia. I, they went to another province where the wait lists were much shorter. Right. So they, you know, uploaded their whole family and moved and changed provinces to access. And I know, I believe in the States. So it's California, is, I believe, has the best um, um, or the, it's there's benefits that cover, so someone's benefits through their work could cover um, treatment. And I'm speaking specifically about applied behavior analysis or the use of those teaching methods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so okay, so then given those factors that it is expensive, so across the board, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's expensive because it is one-to-one individualized curriculum in terms of uh, teaching these various skills. Um, and ABA or applied behavior analysis also, um, the practice of it is called intensive behavioral intervention. So that is the only evidence-based practice or um, treatment for children with autism. That's the only treatment that has been shown to be effective. And so get, that's why I can say in Ontario, our government supports funding that as opposed to other treatments where there isn't that evidence. And there's a slew of, of claims out there about what will be effective, um, different treatments, everything from, you know, teaching methods to taking uh, this vitamin will help. I mean, it's, right, it's, it's ridiculous right. amount of information out there for, for families, and, and it's really hard. So this, again, kind of, kind of feeds into why there's so much mystique around this is because we don't know, you know, there's no known cure, there's no known cause. Um, so these families are mm. so vulnerable because with all this unknown, you know, all these unknown factors, they're vulnerable to misinformation. So that's why something like, you know, 
vaccines causing autism. There's yeah. one really poorly conducted study that has since been debunked, and that is still sticking with people that this causes autism because it's just it's there's just so much mystery around the diagnosis in general. So people are vulnerable to misinformation. Um, I've gone off on a tangent here now. So back to <laughs> the treatment. Okay, so treatment that has been shown to be effective. Um, so science-based treatment is very expensive because it's one teacher, one child, or a small group scenario for teaching. So it does cost a lot. So I can totally see how um, what we're experiencing in Ontario and in Canada is people moving to access shorter wait lists. Mm-hmm. If in the meantime they have to pay for it, I can say that in Canada it would cost um, – Depending on how many hours the individual needs to access per week, it could be forty to eighty thousand dollars per year to pay for wow. treatment. Yeah, it's and it's expensive not because the practitioners are charging so much, just it's because you're paying for one individual to, to right. provide treatment all day to one child um, right. or you know two. So that's one factor. So I can see in the states or in any any place where you know anyone who has to pay for it out of pocket, that that would be a factor. So I think that speaks to where there, there needs to be more support then is in schools because um, and for parents to become um, advocates for their child and be knowledgeable about, you know, how do I teach this? And this is, these are things people can access. So parent training, parent coaching, having someone teach you how to do this, how to, how to teach your child um, is accessible. And it maybe mm-hmm. it might be costly up front, but once you get those skills and know how to do it, you can apply it ongoing mm-hmm. so whether you you know it's learning how okay how do i teach my child to um well toilet training so now they're not learning it in the usual ways it takes a lot more effort mm-hmm. so it will take more effort um if there's a diagnosis you know the um there's a learning delay that's impeding learning naturally um but getting the skills to learn how to break down something like brushing your teeth and mm-hmm. um you know, identifying colors, identifying letters, spelling your name, all those things that kids learn in school in a big group has to happen in a small group now or the parents have to be, uh, the caregivers have to be big providers of that. If they learn how to use these techniques, um, and again, I'm speaking of applied behavior analysis and the teaching techniques, then then they will be more supported. So I, I wish I had a better answer. It's definitely expensive, and I think um, Anyone who has to support an, an individual with special needs, of course, we know like more care and more services are needed. Mm-hmm. But there is hope, I would say, if um, you know parents work or caregivers work to um, maybe if they can't avoid, uh, pay for individual treatment, then to educate themselves on how they can ge- generally you know get their child through a day, whether it's more maybe they need to you know learn about routines, the importance of routines potentially for that individual. There's so many factors, but educating themselves so they can better be better resources and advocates for the child um, is a place to go. And then also looking to schools and, and seeking support in schools. And I go, and I know even there, you know, the differences in, in our countries are huge. Um, not Again, not perfect in Canada by any means, but um, yeah. So I would say if that's, if that's a challenge, then to look to educating yourself as a, um, a parent. And there's also resources about how to start up your own treatment at home that uh, could potentially be a lot more, um, you know, well, a lot less, less costly in the long run if you could start up your own treatment with um, um, an individual provider. So that I'll direct you to um, ASAT online, asatonline.org, mm-hmm. and there's more resources, resources there about starting up um, treatment at home and doing it yourself. So. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. Because um, the, 
the recently when you partnered with our friend Jason Dolby and the OKC mm -hmm. with the one hour one hour long cycle, it was yeah. to help support ASAT. And um, I was just about to bring that up when you mm -hmm. say that you know in these situations where it's very expensive and they need these resources. I was about to ask you: Are there more organizations out there that are helping? that are providing resources and even financial resources to support parents in these situations where they may not be able to necessarily get it from like healthcare providers or they're in a position where they actually have healthcare to take care of that. Are there organizations that, okay, you know, we're providing this, this, and this will, we're raising funds, especially nonprofits. We're raising funds mm -hmm. to help you, you know, we'll take care of, you know, a certain amount of families or even provide like say, you know, scholarships maybe to these right. families or grants to these families like okay for a year you know <clears throat> we raise funds so yeah you can't take care of every family let's just say this mm -hmm. one year they're going to take care of like two families and provide for them for that one year to kind of help them get on their feet and get them going and, or something like that and then move on to another set of families for the next year just kind of pick and choose but are there organizations that necessarily that, that do things in that type of situation Oh boy, of. these are tough questions. <laughs> so I, I honestly don't know of any, and even, mm. um, and it, I, that's probably because it's 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 still so expensive. So like right. you know, um, even a year of of treatment, and how do you say to someone, okay, you only get the year, and then you're yeah. cut off, and in that year, mm. what has been accomplished? Maybe they're just in the middle of of mm. getting somewhere with you know a really important thing like toilet training, and and then they're cut off. So the, I I don't know of any. I know there, are, and I can only speak again to. Um, well, specifically resources, um, services like that. There are charities we have um, in Ontario, and I'm sure there are equivalent, but mm -hmm. finding them that will, that will specifically um, pay for treatment is probably really hard, again, because it's expensive, but there might be some, I've seen some where they'll pay if families have um, are looking for, for respite, so someone who's qualified to, um, you know, not just a babysitter, someone who has, who's more skilled and working with an individual with, uh, special needs and taking them, you know, on outings so the parent can get a break. So right. there's definitely resources there. Um, and then other than that, so, okay, so this kind of leads me back to the misinformation out there. So when I think of um, where a lot of people's resources, and I mean by their time, not just their money, but their time that, that people give when they're looking for support for an individual with autism or, you know, for children with that diagnosis when they're just trying to figure out what do I do, a lot of resources tend to be spent on or directed to um, treatments and um, I guess treatment in general that has been demonstrated not to be effective or there's been you know, no, nothing to, be, to show that it is effective. Mm -hmm. So things that are just based on testimonials. Um, and I won't get into what those are. They're, they're pretty easy to come across. Right. Um, but there's so much out there that I find, again, this speaks to the vulnerability of families because of all the unknowns around autism that, and I don't blame anyone. If someone, you know, is going to, is in the headspace, if I'm going to do everything I can for my child, I'm going to try everything I can, all the power to them. But then when it comes down to, if you have limited resources, even if you have an abundance, are all of these things you're trying negatively affecting each other like you're trying too many different things right. or you know you're not, you're not putting emphasis on the ones that are showing to work and it's and you're overwhelming your child there's so many things that come up or as a as a parent are you exhausted because you're driving around all day long right right you know trying all these different things so again in the given there's so much out there i really encourage people to look for what has been demonstrated to be effective what's been proven to to do the most and so to look into applied behavior analysis and then you know once 
if you've done that, you know, speak to whomever is you're working with on this. And then if you want to try other things that aren't going to affect um, what has been shown to be most, effect- uh, yeah, most effective, then, you know, there's room for, for growth there. So I think, again, we know it's expensive, it's time-consuming, but you want to really then direct your attention to what um, there's more proof to, to support. So I think that's one way. I, I don't have a, you know, a clear-cut do this versus that, but um, definitely, you know, speak to professional, speak to your physician, and I, I would say more often than not, they'll direct you to um, apply behavior analysis as a as a ways to go in terms of how to support an individual with autism, as opposed to you know supplements and um, oh my God, going go all day about there's just so many things out there. So right. I would just like narrow down that search and to to kind of. Um, reduce your stress load, especially narrow down the search to what has been proven to be effective beyond testimonials. And I think that's just when you, again, because it comes down to how much time do I have, early intervention is most important. You want to get things started early. So focus on what's been, um, what's going to give you more bang for your buck, I suppose, in the long run. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's my, my run, you know. (laughs) Lengthy answer on that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No, that's that's a great answer. And one of the things mm-hmm. we talking about effective, you know, diagnosis and uh, things that would, would truly help instead of all the things that just you've hear, heard about that may work or may not work. Right. In testimony, but I will say that one of the testimonies per se that I've heard on numerous occasions was just how effective physical activity has been for children on the autism spectrum, just Mm -hmm. certain ones and not saying, Oh, go put them in the weight room and have them, you know, deadlift or something like that and start, you know, working with dumbbells or, you know, even necessarily kettlebells. But I've even had quite a few customers who have bought my DVD, the body weight training mm-hmm. DVD, and mm-hmm. said like how just the exercise on it, because there's a lot of animal based movements on that DVD and mm-hmm. how their children responded so well to that in spite of them trying so many different things to get them active that didn't work, but right. they connected with that. And for some reason it's like, oh my God, it's like now they, they love doing bear, you know, they do the, the chimp walk and they like doing the bear crawls and they like doing all these different exercises that you have on there. And it's been very effective. And it really reminds me of what my friend and our friend Eric Chesson is doing with autism fitness. Right. Eric is like, it's, it's so funny because with him and you, you know, when first, someone first sees you guys in the fitness industry doing this, okay, like, oh, they're advocates for autism. You know, I wonder, you know, do they have kids on the autism spectrum? Neither one of you do. You know, so it just, it, but there's a field that really needed someone like Eric to mm-hmm. do that because no one's thinking about, you know, fitness and autism. They're just Those two things just don't, they're not the first things that pop up in your mind when you talk about one or the other. But right. there's lots of things that he's done really, really great and had great strides with a lot of his clients, you know, with their children. And it really just helped them to really, I don't to give them a better quality of life is what I want to talk about here. Yeah, and, and I, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> so um, I think with that, so I think, you know, a, a real takeaway from that is at the end of the day, regardless of the person's, diagnosis, their child we're talking about here. So every mm-hmm. child, I mean, find me a child who doesn't like to move. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, that's probably changed with the <laughs> Minecraft factor that's out there. I don't and, understand that game at all. I'm like, what oh, is the deal with banana. Minecraft? It's worse than The Sims. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, little zombies with their iPads and Minecraft. And anyway, so that right. aside, so definitely, you know, we know children are, are more sedentary now and attached to their electronics. But if you took all that away and threw them in the backyard, they'd figure it out. They'd go, yes, they'd they go and play. 
Um, so that's the same thing with the child, regardless of whether or not they have an autism diagnosis or not. They are kids, and they're going to, they need to move. Whether or not they want to move, they need to move. We all do better with movement. That's a given. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably the, what, what, what would tend to happen is given um, the likelihood. So with an autism diagnosis, there's likely, um, um, you know, play is not typical. So mm-hmm. they're and, and wanting to be around other or not wanting to be around, but in, uh, abilities to to easily interact with other children is it's, it's challenging for children with autism. So because they don't have those um, that foundation to play well with others, then then you know they're not playing outside, and um, play looks very different often for mm-hmm. a children a child with autism. So I would say you know that. For anyone, for all of us out there to know, like they're kids and they need to, to play. And if they don't know how to do it, we have to show them. So, just like, and you know, with individuals you, you're speaking about, um, it could also be the way that the parent um, presented. Maybe they got mm. down on the floor and did it with their kid and yeah. interacting with them. Yeah. And, and so, just movement is just important overall. So, and I would say that um, as, you know, people in the fitness community and, you know, if you're interested in that in that in that community and working that demographic, then mm-hmm. um, I've, I have one of Eric's um, online e- books or what are they called? Right, e-book. e-book, yeah. And he does a great job of really breaking things down. And so it, it comes down to you know uh, squatting is is great. So like, how do we teach an individual who's going to be resistant to this uh, how to squat? So you have to break it down, and then we're going to praise them for as they get it right. Make sure they they know like, okay, that's that little movement is all I want. Encourage that those small steps. Mm-hmm. So he does, um, that's what he's, from what I understand, that's what Eric does is he's really giving ideas to make it playful and focus on those movements and, uh, can look to that population as, you know, like as, you know, people who just like everyone else, they need to move and there's a need there, um, for their caregivers to want, want to find, you know, professionals in the community or those who know about this to, to teach them because if they're sedentary as well, they're not going to know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, if you have an individual who's not moving as a child, it's probably not going to get better as an adult, I and mean, there's health consequences there. So mm-hmm. just like, you know, and that's not, not just kids with autism. Anyone who, you know, um, movement, who, who's affected by a diagnosis, then there's they need to move like anyone else. And those in the field, the fitness community, it would we would all do well to learn more about how to work with people who have different needs exactly. and break those skills down and and really and you're individualizing just like you were with anyone else. You're really individualizing um, your your communication approach and your teaching approach to suit that person. And you know, being the tough love guy isn't going to work with everyone, and being the pushover is not going to work with everyone. <laughs> right, so right. it depends. You just but again, if, there, if we're talking about kids here or teenagers, it's, it's thinking you know that um, communicating with them at, at their level and. Everyone needs to move. So I would say there's even some research, again, I'm going to speak about this over and over again, at a, um, on the asatonline.org website. Um, it was uh, a couple who are behavior analysts, and they also have a fitness background, and they developed a survey for families, a kind of a way to open up communication with, with personal trainers and, and help them figure out, you know, hone in on goals for um, a person with autism. Right. And so there's, 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 there's more research out there about even targeting, decreasing um, repetitive behavior through exercise. So there's more coming up there, and I think Eric's a great resource to start with. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, just like everyone else, kids need to move, doesn't matter, you know, whether or not they have a diagnosis, we have to get kids moving, and it's better for them in the long run. So, yeah, and that should be part of the care given to a child is activity. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, 
for, and we keep speaking about Eric. So folks, if you want to check mm-hmm. out more information about Eric, head over to autismfitness.com. You'll find lots of great information about the things that we're talking about as far as mm-hmm. what Eric is doing. And if you're, especially if you're in the fitness community and you are a strength and conditioning coach, you are a personal trainer, and this sounds like something that you're interested in, please make sure that you're interested in, in it for the right reasons, not just for, oh, here's another niche market I can go make a lot of money from. Cause if that's what you're thinking, that, yeah. do not <laughs> do such a disservice to a child and their family by being greedy. You know, do this because you genuinely care and this is something that truly interests you. And if it's tugging at you right now and you're thinking about like, oh my God, I I really want to do something, you know, and how can I help? This may be a way for you to step in and become of service because that's what it's all about. Being mm-hmm. in this fitness industry, not being of paid. Okay. You know, that, that comes along whatever. But if that's what you're focusing on, please don't waste anyone's time by doing that. And another thing you were speaking of, because you said that children, you know, they need activity. And then, you know, this is going to go into adulthood. I think that's one of the misconceptions. We, we always associate autism with children. We right. never think about the adult level. So in your experience, Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of these, what are some of the things as far as adults with autism? Like, can they go on and have a, 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 a decent or a good quality of life? Do, do they deteriorate as they get older? I mean, does it, is it, what, is there a life expectancy that is maybe a little shorter than normal? I mean, what, there's, that's another, out of all the mystiques around autism, that's a bigger mm-hmm. mystique. What about autism for adults? Like, do they even become adults? You know, there's some people that are going to ask the question like, well, does this just end when they're children? Do they even make it to adulthood? And if they do, how do they carry on from there? That, that's a great question. So um, I would say, you know, a lot of the attention comes to children because, um, well, as someone who works in the field of treatment, then for me, I, I speak about that group mostly because that's the group I work with. And then also the importance of early diagnosis to, to get help. So that's mm-hmm. one reason. And then... Um, I just think it kind of speaks to our society that the anything to do with people in need, you know, what, same thing with elderly. It's just sort of we kind of forget about what right. do people need when they're old and older. And then, you know, given the baby boomers are that demographic that's that's aging and that big demographic, it's becoming more and more popular, you know, how to work with them in the fitness community too, you know, uh, mm-hmm. training uh, the elderly or, or senior citizens and things like that. So, um, okay, but then about... Um, Adult uh, people with with autism and then becoming adults. So yes, it's a lifelong um, diagnosis. So you don't grow out of it, and um, it's there for life, and it affects all aspects of living pretty much. So given that there there needs to be definitely more attention paid to um, you know how to support adults with autism, and I, the agency I work for, the Geneva Center. Um, and there are others out there. I don't want to just give them. I'm not giving them a plug or anything. But there is so if uh, agencies or services for autism, they do they do have services for adults. It's just mm-hmm. that isn't publicly or you know the greater population doesn't really speak of it. But it is definitely a need. And um, for for parents and for caregivers, what we often see is uh, the need to to think of you know long term living. So they, parents are always concerned about, or they they worry about what will happen to my child when I'm gone. That I've had that conversation with so many families, and that's mm-hmm. a big worry. Even if they they just have a toddler now, it's going to be on their mind. So I would say for um, for caregivers, that's one thing. If you know whether or not you have a young child or a teenager to start talking about that and planning for that, as, as you know, uh, grim as that might sound, or whether it just seems too far away, talking to people, whether it's a, a social worker, or start thinking, you know, what services do I have to access? 
or will I need? And then from there, maybe getting on wait lists. That's one thing I talked to family. When I worked with teenagers, especially, we talked about wait lists for um, whether it's vocational skills training when they're adults, so over 18 years of age, um, whether it's weekend, respite care, all kinds of things. So start having those conversations with um, uh, whether it's social workers or whatever services you have in your community, have those, again, at a younger age rather than waiting till they're, you know, a month away from being an adult. And then, but overall, you know, in terms of um, where there's more need for, for services and for funding from our governments is is support in um, for adults and, and then for, you know, when they're older adults too. So, but I guess in terms of your, your general question, yes, it, it is a, a diagnosis that or the person will be affected for life. And their needs might change, though, as they get into adulthood, of course, even physical needs. Um, but the life expectancy, I mean, I don't know any rate, any numbers about that, but mm-hmm. I, it doesn't affect, um, that diagnosis doesn't affect your organs or your, okay. your brain in that way. That, so I, I would expect it's the same, but I can imagine, though, uh, depending on how they've, you know, live their life if it hasn't been a healthy life because of inactivity and, mm-hmm. and poor diet and all those things can be really extreme when um, there's learning delays and other factors that are affecting those, um, you know, key elements of well-being, then, you know, you would expect when daily living or, you know, physical fitness, all kinds of things would be affected as an adult too. Right. Um, but overall, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's with a person for life, and we need to have more services um, for adults with uh, a diagnosis. Okay. And one of the things that Mike addressed, they asked you last time before mm-hmm. the show got obliterated, <laughs> before mm-hmm. it got messed up. I know Mike had asked you about um, the, the the diagnosis of autism in other countries, because I think a lot of times we also associate autism with happening, being a Western problem, you know, right. you know, more advanced, quote unquote, advanced society type mm-hmm. situation where it only happens here in America, whether it be right. North America, you know, our, you know, our friends down below in Mexico, whatever, but never anywhere else in the world. So well, what are your experiences with autism being in other countries? Okay. So, um, I'll let you know this is a, actually good timing because the um, the current beneficiary of the fundraising I'm doing, it's, uh, so our current beneficiary is the Global Autism Project, and they're an organization that sends volunteers to um, treatment centers in different countries, and they're working with the centers and, and training. Um, they're working directly with the, the, the clients or the, the kids. I'm not sure what, what age group. I know it's definitely children, but I don't know if they also work with um, adolescents and teenagers, but they're tr- so they're sending volunteers who have um, a professional background in behavior analysis, and they're sending them to these countries to work at centers there and work with the um, the staff there and the the clients or the the students. So in the countries they they work with right now, they have a center in Africa they're working with, Indonesia, Peru, Dominican, and India. Um, so. Yes, it does. It's it's not just a, a you know a diagnosis we see in in North America, um, but because of our from what I understand, I mean I know there's other factors that um, play here, but it, it does have a lot to do with just our resources here to make uh, to diagnose and and treat um, autism. So, but and whereas other countries, you know, some factors might be that it's more taboo to have. Um, right, right. Yeah, so that would affect. Um, even you know seeking professional help if if you suspect there's an individual you know your child has autism, um, so that's a factor. But I think a bigger one, from what I understand, is just the lack of resources mm. to diagnose and then to to support and treat the individual. So um, 
yeah, so it's definitely a world, I mean, it affects you regardless of um, where you're born and, you know, mm-hmm. what country you live in. It's everywhere. It's just uh, what we have access to in terms of supports and, and what's getting a lot of attention right now. Okay, awesome. So let's get back to your partnership with the OKC, the Orange Kettlebell mm-hmm. Club, Jason Dolby. You know, Jason every year does um, a fundraiser. The one-hour long cycle. And, you know, it was really exciting last year, 2014, to see. I got a video, and there it is. There's you and Jason side by side. She's saying you guys are partnering together, and, you know, you're raising funds to help, you know, ASAT. We've spoken Mm -hmm. about quite a few times in in the show right now. And, you know, it was really exciting. So, once again, I I wasn't able to actually participate in the one-hour long long cycle, do the business. He's pretty strict on on participating, so (laughs) he got a lot of feedback about that. You have to be available at this time or, you know, don't do it. And so we we got a lot of heat about that. But that's Jason's thing, and it's it's worked out for him, so all the power to him. Yeah, but, you know, it was good because, you know, the one thing I was able to do is to share that information. And I spoke Mm -hmm. about it here on the show, and Mike and I talked about it, and we put it in in the show notes. We talked about it on the podcast. Yep. Share it on social media. So mm-hmm. there's like we always tell everyone, you know, even when you're not in a situation where you can actually be there physically or financially, there are still ways that you can still help support yeah. great causes out there. So, you know, in this situation, I always no, oh, no problem. No problem. So had no problem doing it financially, but I, I didn't want it just to stop right there. Really wanted to help you guys. And, you know, I love both of you guys and known you for a while. So, you know, when it comes to my especially my friends, I definitely when they're doing something great out there and not just getting caught up in the rigmarole, the same old crap in the fitness industry. And they're actually doing good mm-hmm. and they're using these physical tools like we just spoke about, you know, earlier in the show, when you're using these tools for the good and not just to, you know, sit there and be the foundation of their argument to you know, show why this is the better tool. I mean, come on, you, you got to support that. So, you know, here's a situation where you guys have taken something, a kettlebell, you know, who would have thought? And you use that for the greater good. So how did you guys, how did you and Jason end up partnering together this past year, you know, with the one hour long cycle? Right. So, um, so when did it start? Okay, so my organization started in 2013. His started 2000 in, and oh, when was it? I think uh, 2009, uh, I believe. 2009, 2010, somewhere the, around that area. Or 2010. That was the first year. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, just, I, I know Jason through the kettlebell sport mm-hmm. community, and I had been to a couple of the Orange Kettlebell Club uh, competitions. So mm-hmm. we knew about each other, and he, you know, I knew about his event. And I didn't even think about partnering and, and that's because so jason chooses a, so the one hour long cycle which is um jason dolby's uh organization not-for-profit organization they pick a different beneficiary each year so the past um so 2014 was yes yeah, so we were year five kettlebell throttism was year five but they pick a charity to support each year so i didn't even think about working with him because kettlebell throttism is not a charity it's a fundraising campaign so it's not for profit i'm the only one running it but I don't take any money to pay myself or, you know, pay other people. Mm-hmm. I um, direct um, donors and have fundraising events and direct them uh, right to a, a not-for-profit who ha- that have a charitable designation. Mm-hmm. So that's how I really just, like, channel money um, or donations and bring attention to an organization, and they supply the tax receipts. So. I didn't even think that Jason and I could work together because I don't, I didn't have, I don't have that infrastructure to do what he typically supports. So we spoke about it and I thought, and so he mentioned to me, he's like, you know, I really want us to work together next year. And I was, you know, over the moon with excitement because it was a great opportunity to really, you know, bring to, um, bring a lot of attention to a cause and then, uh, really target the whole kettlebell sport community and we have different, 
you know, um, are networking. We have, I'm in Canada and, or in, you know, Ontario specifically, and he's in California, so mm-hmm. different ends of the continent. Um, so anyway, so he said he wanted to do it, and I said, okay, well, then we have to pick a beneficiary. So I did my research, and I wanted to work with ASAP because they um, really um, have very similar um, like a mission statement or, you know, their goals are similar to my goals in terms of supporting science-based treatment for individuals with autism, research, and raising awareness and acceptance of individuals with autism. So so they were, you know, it was a given, I'm going to support them. And uh, so I got, J- so Jason was, was cool with it. And then it just became a matter of uh, planning the event. And it was crazy. It was so, I'm so proud of the outcome. And it was, but I, I didn't expect the outcome to be what it was. And I had mentioned you know, I've told a few people this, that um, a, a great thing for me and what I learned a lot from uh, the event in terms of my own personal growth and where I want to take kettlebells for autism was how I tend to play like a small game and play it safe. And Jason really pushed me to, mm-hmm. you know, take a chance on this. So he um, he's really successful with um, the one hour long cycle. So they do it the third Saturday of, of in October every single year and they support a different organization each year and slowly it's been getting bigger and bigger. Oh, so they yeah. raise you know, a few thousand the year one and then in two thousand thirteen I think there was a big I think it was like a three or four thousand dollar jump from the previous year. So they raised mm-hmm. a little over ten thousand for um, the Z Foundation for Cancer Research. So I thought, you know, let's just continue that trend. Let's just reach for like twelve, thirteen thousand will be our goal. And maybe we'll get a couple hundred lifters. And Jason hmm. said, you know, I think we can get 20,000 and a thousand lifters. And I was just like, this guy <laughs> is too much. It's never going to happen. I was thinking we're going to be so embarrassed. But I mean, it was a stupid approach on my end to, to be so conservative because there's nothing to lose. We were going right. through free social media to make it happen. We were giving our time, not our money. So, I mean, in terms of setting it up, it was, it was just having to do a lot of legwork to, to get it running. Um, so there's really no loss to, to be had, but anyway, so I was having major anxiety about it and Jason was pushing me to keep going. So we did it. So at the end, the end result was, um, we, uh, ended up having, I forget the numbers. It was something over like over 700 people involved and, uh, for, so 14 countries, uh, there were 60, no, 71 satellite locations mm-hmm. across 14 countries. And the way it worked was, Everyone had to lift at the exact same time. So this is where Jason and I got a lot of heat because we had <laughs> right. people in Australia lifting at 4 o'clock in the morning right. and people <laughs> you know, in Singapore lifting at 1 a.m. And they're all like, well, can't we just lift at this time? And I really want to say yes. And Jason said, no, this is how it works. The whole the idea being we all are working together right. um, at the same time, and it's that vibe that he really wants to to, to spread and it worked so you know all the power to him and uh so yeah we had like i said um and for those of you i mean uh what what you were getting at uh sincere was again with the fitness community and you know a, a big thing through through social media is people you know posting selfies of their muscles and <laughs> posting snippets uh, of their sets and that kind of leads to my whole right. um my motto with kettlebell for autism is to work hard give back so like you know mm-hmm. it's great that we're all achieving these you know physical feats and that's awesome, but like you know, maybe take some time away from doing it for yourself, and think mm-hmm. have someone else in mind when you're doing something physically challenging. Like maybe that can do some some good for someone else. Right. So that's sort of that's like really motivated me to create kettlebells for autism and how to like make a little even a momentary mm-hmm. shift. Just you know, think about someone who who doesn't have the time to do this because they're too busy taking care of their kid who mm-hmm. has a lot of needs. Like just bring some attention to them for a second. So. 
so yeah, so Jason, you know, we work really well together and uh, he'll be picking a new beneficiary for 2015. So mm-hmm. I have gotten emails of people asking, you know, me when the next one is and the one hour long cycle is not my event. It's its own event run by Jason Dolby. And I'm, you know, he helped me um, jump up my, the donations I've received to, oh man, I think I had raised only $14,000 total um, when I started Kettlebell for Autism. And then we raised over, I think it was almost I think it was like 38,000, 38 and a half from mm. that, just that one event for one hour, people got together and raised that much money for a great organization. So, so yeah, but I mean, look up one hour long um, for more details about their 2015 event. And, yeah. um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, we'll, I hope if, if yeah, you, whether or not yeah. you, sorry, go ahead. What did you say? Oh, no, I was saying we'll, we'll make sure I put those, you know, I'll have a link to that oh, as perfect. well in the show notes. So lots of great resources for folks mm-hmm. here. But yeah, yeah, but definitely, if you're interested, yeah, do it. Even if, even if just from the physical aspect, if you're like, oh, a whole hour doing a long cycle, hey, it doesn't matter. You know what? You also can donate your time or donate financially or all of the above. You can participate, donate, and, you know, and share yeah, the love I think as well all of the through above. social media. Learn how to lift a kettlebell. It's a uh, lot of fun. I will give a plug for that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can lift super light for an hour. No, you don't have to lift 32 kilos. But if you look at what's exactly. happening in Russia, they are lifting two 32-kilo kettlebells for an hour. Yeah, yeah, it was insane. Exactly. Let's not talk about Rzhinsky. You know, this guy has done like 12 hours. Oh, yeah. He's broken Guinness Book World Records. And he's done oh, all yeah. It was specifically I mean, his people done... who were doing that. It was ridiculous to watch. <laughs> yeah, so impressive. I know. <laughs> he, that, that guy's a mutant. I love Rzhinsky <laughs> to death, man. But he's a, he's a freaking mutant. He does not belong on this planet. Well, he's got a, he's got a <laughs> collective of mutants then because there was a whole... There yes, was at least, I would say, 15 people, and no one was lifting lighter than mm-hmm. double 16 kilos. And a couple were, you know, I had I saw greens and reds and oranges, and I was like, oh, my God, they did that for an hour, and they didn't miss a beat. It was insane. <laughs> they didn't nope. miss a beat. They're just like, okay, just not, that was a warm-up. What are we yeah, doing next? Whenever I think, you know, I'm doing <laughs> so. something really great with kettlebell sport, I think there's like a 13-year-old in Russia who's doing way better than me. you got to work harder. There's <laughs> an 8-year-old looking at you laughing. Like, Please. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I feel the same way. Yep. So, so awesome. So, before we go, mm-hmm. let's uh, talk about Autism Awareness mm-hmm. Month, and then let's talk about what's next for you with Kettlebell for Autism. So, this is April, the time we're recording the show, yep. and it will be released in April. I made a point of making Thank that happen. So let's talk about Autism Awareness Month. So, what's going on? Okay, so in general, um, when I think of Autism Awareness Month, so I, I personally would like to bring awareness, I'd like more people to know about autism, not just to know that it exists. I mean, that people know it exists, but learn but to take some time to learn about exactly what that means for an individual with autism, the person caring for them. And it's not hard to find this information. You can look up, um, again, ASET online. You can look up um, just any, you know, big organization out there, and you'll find, you know, what does autism, what is autism. So to know a little bit about, at least hopefully more than a little bit, about what it means to have a diagnosis and how that person is affected by that diagnosis. So that's the awareness piece. And then I think of acceptance. So what as a, you know, community do we, do I want to promote? What I'd like people to, to do more of is to accept that we have individuals among us who have needs and to, you know, show them empathy and be helpful as opposed to, to critical. And, and so like I had said earlier on about, you know, if you see someone who seems to be having a hard time, offer help. And when I think of kids, like I would like parents to ask, to tell, you know, to encourage their kids to, to know who are their classmates and what are, you know, what are their needs and, and exactly. you know, play with them at recess. Like little things like that can make a huge difference to a person with, a, with autism. Um, so that's the one part of it and I can go on all day about that. And then in terms of kettlebells for autism, so 
this month is where I do um, what has been an annual event called the KB for A90. So the idea being to do 90 seconds of work. And again, when I launched this, I was really targeting people who did, didn't know anything about swinging a kettlebell. And I just wanted them to devote 90 seconds to swinging a kettlebell, see how many can get done and ask people to support whichever beneficiary I was working with at the time. So we're in the middle of that now. We just had, um, yesterday I was at Lululemon, one of the Lululemon stores. I'm loving the window shots. Yeah. I, mean, I keep seeing the photos oh, yeah. of you guys on the window. We were sweating buckets in that window <laughs> with those lights on us, but it was great. It was just, I was, it's a busy mall, so I was literally yelling at people to come into the window with me and I'll teach them how to swing a kettlebell. <laughs> and uh, the numbers aren't out yet, but I, I know we broke last year's record. And then we had um, a CrossFit gym in New Jersey. They did a fundraiser um, also supporting Global Autism Project, who's the beneficiary of this quarter. Um, and I've got two other organizations um, having fundraising events uh, next week. So if you could go to um, kettlebellsforautism.com and look up who we're supporting, and if you care to make a donation or just see what events are coming up in the future and be part of that, that would be great. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, for me, that's the, the, big, the, the big event um, that, I, that I plan for annually, and I don't know what it will be next year, who I'm going to support, because it does take – I, it's not that easy to find organizations that have the same goals that I do in terms of supporting uh, right. science-based treatment. And I really look, I'm looking for the small organizations that can't easily access, you know, corporate funding and they need support, but they're not big enough to get the, the big money. So those are the ones I'm, I'm after and that they're volunteer-based and, and not-for-profit. So I don't know what, uh, who I'll be supporting uh, at the end of the year, but right now it's Global Autism Project. And, um, yeah, so if they can go to the website, I'm also selling really great T-shirts and all the funds from those sales support the current beneficiary. So that's what's happening this month. Um, uh, and, and not that it should matter because it's for a good mm -hmm. cause, but the quality of these, t these are not cheap no, T-shirts, people. It's really not those good. rough T-shirts where, <laughs> it, where one sleeve is about a, <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have mine. Mine was a birthday present, but I love my shirt. I love the shirt. And I wear that shirt a lot. And it's still hold, it's holding mm -hmm. up and it still looks new. Yes. Now, I've had T-shirts, you know, and I've washed that thing one time. And next thing you know, one side is a muscle shirt and the other one still has a sleeve. Okay, because it just goes to the quality. Yeah. Of the shirt, exactly. you know, so this is not one of those shirts. This is a, I mean, when you take this thing out and you feel it, feels great. Okay, it feels as Thanks. good. I'm so feels happy to as hear that. You should feel. I haven't like, done, I haven't oh, seen one lately. How's your shirt holding up? Yeah, glad it's <laughs> I love my shirt. I love it. Good. I love it. I love it. You can ask my wife. I love Perfect. my shirt. And then I love wearing it out in public because I love when people stop mm -hmm. it. Because anytime I wear any shirts with kettlebells on it, I already get people stop asking, hey man, what's, I've seen those things before. Or what are those things? But now, you know, because so many of us are connected. See, that's another beautiful thing about this and about being, this, this is, Autism Awareness hmm. Month, because little do you know, I think if you actually stop and took the time, you will realize that you're more connected to someone in on the autism spectrum or someone who has a child on the autism spectrum or you, you're more connected than you think. You're not as far removed from this as you think you are. So it's just amazing when I'm out and about and they see sometimes they don't even see the kettlebells part. They see for yep. autism. That's what got their attention first because they know someone or they are someone. But then they see the kettlebells. Like, hey, man, what's that about? Yeah. And so then I tell them about your website and say, hey, here you go and check this out, blah, blah. And this is what they're doing. And they're helping to raise awareness and they're working with organizations to help build awareness and also just give support and resources. And like, oh, wow, I have to check that out. I said, yeah, and while you're checking that out, buy a shirt. 
So often someone wearing their shirt and then some random person just stops them and asks them because they're somehow mm-hmm. personally affected by um, autism, like they have a loved one or they're, you know, a friend or whomever, or, you know, or right. they like kettlebells and rarely is it both, but it has happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that's, I mean, I think that's actually one of the, what's, what's really unique about kettlebells for autism is that, um, so given I, I work you know, I work to support individuals with autism, that's my career, and then I have this really obscure hobby, you know, kettlebell sport, which most hmm. people, probably not so much, not Didn't as it. much or as bad as the U.S., <laughs> but in Canada, no one has heard about it, so, or very right. few, it's just, it's just starting to pick up. So, yeah, so I'm really targeting a, a, dem- a group of people that um, is very small to support, you know, a really unknown diagnosis, so it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. been tough to really make it happen, but it's, it's catching <laughs> on. Um, so yeah, I would say that the shirts, apart from being great quality, um, it's 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 a conversation starter. Right? Whenever I I always go whenever I travel, I wear my shirt to the airport, and I've never mm-hmm. um, it's every time I've done it, someone has always come up to me and, and talked to me about you know my shirt. And first, it looks like they're just staring at you. I'm thinking, why is that guy staring at me? <laughs> I know it's kind of funny that you're just kind of staring at your chest. Yeah, and I'm just like, like, oh man. And, so, and you're thinking like, okay, I, like, hey, I, I, really like I just came shirt. out of the burger place. Do I have mustard on my women shirt? Too, but I just. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't mean it that way, but yeah, I think people look at me funny. Yeah. I'm like, or you know, look at me for a longer time. I'm like, what is up with that? And then it's just a way to ask me about the shirt. So it is a conversation starter. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, apart from the apparel, uh, there are the events that that are happening, and I would love for more people to 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 lead events and to run events from their gyms or you know whatever they have access to to get more people involved. That would be great. That's my say about that. So our listeners, I am throwing that out there for you you guys. Get out there, go to her website, learn about this. You know, check out. You know, yeah, just don't just go and look and then like, oh, it's nice, and then leave. Like, oh, I got the information, I'm good. No, reach out. You know, reach out to Christine and and tell them. You know, tell her pretty much your thoughts of this show and ask her, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? It may be something just simple as, you know what. I, I shared the link to the show or I shared this information. I shared your website on my social media. You know, I hope that helps and just let me know what I can do because every little bit counts. And I know our audience is very, they're very proactive. They're very proactive. So, Hey, there's the challenge right there from Mike and myself to you guys out there. Get out there, get the word out there. Tell everyone about kettlebells for autism. Tell everyone about the one hour long cycle <laughs> yep. event, autism, fitness, ASAT.org. All these things, and all these links will be in the show notes. So here, I'm going to make it easy for you guys. Just share the show notes. So therefore, you don't sit there and remember every website. And it'll go and help each and every one of these organizations and these individuals really help these families and these children and the adults who are on the autism spectrum or have someone in their life that has that is on the autism spectrum. So, Christina, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to help to come along and re-record the show after that mishap. I really appreciate that. Mike appreciates it as well. Thank you both again for, for having me on. And I had said when we previously recorded this that I, I was really, you know, uh, touched <laughs> that you even included me because you had such a, um, a lot of experts on your show in different areas. And, and the work I'm doing is, you know, it's, it's unique. So I, I love that you're giving attention to it. And I thank you for your support. Well, look, it's unique, but guess what? As far as we're concerned, you are an expert in this field because you know way more than we do, and that's why we brought you on the show, to help us learn a lot more. So, therefore, we're not all walking around just making assumptions and trying to fill in the blanks on our own. So, so we really appreciate that, and I'm sure there are 
so many families out there and folks who are touched by folks on the autism spectrum who also appreciate what you're doing as well. So keep doing that, sister. Don't worry. We're, we're, we're watching. You. <laughs> Checking you out. We see you out there doing your thing. You know, so don't, don't think that you're out there busting your behind and it's going Aww, unnoticed. Okay. Sure. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show, just to show you because you're so busy in the field doing the work. You're not concerned about who's watching me or am, or am I getting attention. You're doing what you need to do. And everything else is just a result of the, all the hard work that you're doing. So keep Thank doing you. that. Thank you. All right. So thanks a lot for coming on and have a Thank great day. Have a good day. That was Christina Danos from kettlebellsforautism.com. I want to thank Christina for coming back onto the show, despite our audio difficulties from the very beginning. But I want you guys to head over to our website to find out more information about her. And while you're there, buy a shirt. Buy one of those Kettlebell for Autism t-shirts that we were talking about and help support a great cause. She's doing great things over there. We really want to support folks like Christina who are going out there in the field, helping a great cause, not worried about getting accolades or anything like that for it. They're just doing the work and really helping a lot of people out there that truly could benefit from what she's doing out there. So let's, let's support her as she supports others. All right. So again, before we head out, head over to both of our websites, head over to MikeMahler.com or NewWarriorTraining.com. Use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off of all of our goods and services over there. If you can buy it, you can get a discount on it by using the coupon code LLA. So also, become a patron of the show. So head over to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash LLA podcast. Become a monthly supporter of the show. Help keep this bad boy moving and grooving and keeping it free of a million and one sponsors dropping their ads every five seconds and taking away from all the great content and great guests that we bring on this show. All you have to do is head over there and there's a little box to the left when you go to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. There's a box over there with a dollar in it. Erase that dollar, start off with $5 and then add whatever you want to after that. Okay, so if you want to give more than five bucks, go for it, man. All those things help keep the show going, helps with the production of the show, helps with the hosting of the show and all the other great stuff. And we truly appreciate all our Patreon supporters out there that have already jumped on board. Last but not least, share this episode with your friends on social media, folks. Head over to Stitcher and iTunes. Leave us a good review. And you can share these links on any social media that you participate on, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google+, any and all of the above, folks. Let the world know what's going on right here with the LLA Podcast. And we truly appreciate you guys and all the efforts that you've done to help get the word out there about this show. We're almost heading on two years right now, and it's getting bigger and better every month, and we truly appreciate it. It's with the help of listeners like you that we're continuing to grow. That's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. Catch us on the next show. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.